see this. Naturals. That's right. It's me. I'm your host. My name is Virgil Masters, and you can find me anywhere that you'd like on the internet at Commodify This. And I am Kenny. I'm Kendall. Um, you can find me anywhere at She Herzog on the internet. And you can also find me at patreon.com slash Big Soy Naturals. You're listening to Big Soy Naturals, the only podcast about topics. <laughs> about topics it's the topics. only it's it's the only podcast about topics that isn't topical mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. we discuss a variety of events and occurrences on big soy naturals and we do it on our own time we don't do it on anyone else's time but ours um i'm going to start this episode with a little history lesson. I guess last Mm. time we were kind of doing a history lesson too. If you haven't listened to part one of I Might Do a Drone Strike in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, you should should go do that and then come back to this one. But in that one... Yeah, I mean, what are you doing? I don't know. People people listening to episodes out of order... But I don't trust our listeners. Sick and to, twisted behavior. I don't, I don't know. They might all have the numbers dyslexia and maybe they don't know. Mm-hmm. So in that episode, we go into the history of the development of video games and how that was like very explicitly tied to the development of military technology. And there is this sort of like, what's the word for when things are um, helping each other? Like um, like the bird that eats the stuff out of the hippo's mouth, like symbiotic. Oh, a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it's a symbiotic. I was gonna say like a. Sh- I was gonna say it's like a shit eating Ouroboros. No, well, that's the same. Or mutually assured destruction. Yeah, that's all, all the but- same thing. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, symbiotic relationship between the military and the gaming industry, with a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth, a lot of sharing of the same people sharing of the same technologies. But today, we're going to do a, another another history lesson about the 1990s. Um, in the 1990s, the Cold War had ended, and our old friend, the Perpetual War Machine, which we will refer to sometimes in this episode as the Perpetual War Machine, and other times by its... Um, official name, The Beast, um, in this moment personified by former President George Herbert Walker Bush. It was... W. W, like the big one, W Senior. Yeah, W Senior. Um, he was breathing out a yawn. There is getting less to do. The Beast was getting sleepy. 
And the Cold War sort of signified to people uh, who care about this sort of thing that we had entered in perhaps a new age of warfare and that military tactics would need to change in order to prepare for the next war, which of course would be coming soon because we have to feed the beast. Um, In 1989, shortly before the fall of the Berlin Wall, Francis Fukuyama, who is not a friend of this podcast, um, no. He wrote Enemy. an essay called The End of History, which then he turned into a book that I think captures parts of this attitude really well. It begins like this. In watching the flow of events over the past decade or so, it is hard to avoid the feeling that something very fundamental has happened in world history. The past year has seen a flood of articles commemorating the end of the Cold War and the fact that peace in scare quotes, seems to be breaking out in many regions of the world. Most of these analyses lack any larger conceptual framework for distinguishing what is essential and what is contingent or accidental in world history and are predictably superficial. So he is saying, hey, all of you guys are saying that world peace is happening? Hold on. Don't don't say that. World peace is not happening. Hold the don't, phone. Don't, don't make those predictions. How dare you? Um, and so, Which, to be fair, <laughs> is presumptuous. Well, In my day and age, I would I would assume if anything happens and it's like, oh, man, it's over, I'd be like, mm, hold on. I would on. call it, like, optimistic. And in fairness to the people that were predicting world peace, yeah. they lived in a different time a than we did. And so, like... Yeah. As we'll get into perpetual fear, the the, like nature of war really changed after, or or at least the approach to war. I'm not sure if the nature of war really changed, but the approach to war and like armed conflict and global conflict like changed after the Cold War ended. And so, for people who had like for the previous, I don't know, like 50, 60 years, had thought of like all war as being like antagonistic to the USSR, I can see how they would think that the USSR falling would then mean like, ah, no more wars because there's no more reason to have war. Right. And he's like, Hey, Mm -hmm. hold on. Don't, don't you dare say that there's no reason (laughs) to have war. That hurts my feelings. Um, And so one way to interpret this essay is that, you know, literally like that it's unlikely that world peace is near just because the other major player in a global conflict was defeated. But there's another way that we can read this, which is that there's like an an underlying anxiety that the global conflict is over. And there's sort of like a scrambling to find a new reason to justify war. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the essay continues like this. The 20th century saw the developed world descend into a paroxysm. This is the problem with reading and not speaking words out loud. Paroxysm? Oh, no. Paroxysm? Paroxysm of ideological violence as liberalism contended first with the remnants of absolutism, then Bolshevism and fascism, and finally an updated Marxism that threatened to lead to the ultimate apocalypse of nuclear war. But... The century that began full of self-confidence in the ultimate triumph of Western liberal democracy seems to be uh, returning full circle to where it started, 
not to an end of ideology or a convergence between capitalism and socialism as earlier predicted, but to an unabashed victory of economic and political liberalism. This reminds me a lot of the blog posts that we were reading from The Rationalists a couple episodes ago Mm -hmm. in that I really just every sentence want to be like, where are you getting this from, bro? Uh (laughs) He he really, he he loves to reach. (laughs) Um, But he... Just stretching up those little arms. Fukuyama, like, relies on uh, Hegel and Marx a bit, not not in a way that demonstrates understanding, but he relies on Hegel mostly to present the history of warfare like this. Prior to the 20th century, war was fought over territory disputes. That in the 20th century, we saw war that was fought over ideas like liberal democracy and liberal meaning like liberalism and not American Democrats, but liberal democracy versus mm-hmm. fascism liberal democracy versus communism, and liberal democracy has won. Um, (laughs) Let's let's put aside that war in the 20th century was not fought over territory disputes. Territory disputes. That stopped. (laughs) That ended in the year 1900. After that, it was all about ideas. Um, I do really, really recommend reading the essay like as a historical document. What is the global south? But also for <laughs> heard of her. amazing quotes like this one. Fascism was destroyed as a living ideology by <laughs> World War II. This defeat, of course, on a, was on a very material level, but it amounted to the defeat of the idea as well. Um, <laughs> and then there's saying, no, 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 it's totally material. Like, yeah, it's a little surface level, but also it totally vanquished it. No one's ever thought about well, fascism no, not, a not day in their life again. Surface level, but that like fascism was defeated on the material level of like World War One saw right, the, like the, the fascists not- lose. Yeah, but they're like, but but also as you can see, the war has demonstrated. <laughs> That now that fascism, fascism is, is over. Is, no one wants to yeah, do that cringe. shit anymore. No one wants to do that anymore. <laughs> it's loser behavior. Um, or <laughs> there's another amazing quote from it that it's not super relevant to what we're talking about, but it's just I, I have to share it. He goes, Marx, speaking Hegel's language, asserted that a liberal society contained a fundamental contradiction that could not be resolved within its context, that between capital and labor and this contradiction has, sorry, and this contradiction has constituted the chief accusation against liberalism ever since. But surely the class issue has actually been successfully resolved in the West. The egalitarianism (laughs) of modern America represents the essential achievement of the classless society envisioned by Marx. Like, no notes. (laughs) Simply incredible. Amazing stuff here. But this is is the level of um, intellectualism that we're working with. This was published in National Affairs, so it's not like, Mm. it's not serious, but... People took it seriously. Some um, would say it's deeply unserious. <laughs> it's a deeply unserious publication. Yeah. So um, Fukuyama like articulates his theory this way. He says, "What we may be witnessing is not just the end of the Cold War or the passing of a particular period of post-war history, but the end of history as such." 
That is the end point of mankind's ideological evolution and the universalization of Western liberal democracy as the final form of human government. This is not to say that we'll, there will no longer be events to fill in the pages of foreign affairs yearly summaries of international relations, for the victory of liberalism has occurred primarily in the realm of ideas or consciousness and is not yet incomplete um, in the real or material world. But there are powerful reasons for believing that it is the ideal that will govern the material world in the long run. So he's he's saying, listen, fascism (laughs) out, communism over with, liberal democracy, that's that's the winner. It's going to take over everywhere. And that represents the end of history because there will no longer be this like, um, not that there will no longer be conflicts over ideas, but that it's sort of a foregone conclusion that liberal democracy is going to win. Whereas in the early 20th century, it was like, well, we'll see, like capitalism or socialism, which one will it be? Who's going to win World War II? We don't know. But he's like, now we know all the time. Liberal democracy, it's winning. Putting aside that there were communist countries still still up and running still at the around. time of, of his writing this essay that are also still around now. But again, not an intellectually serious writer. No citations anywhere in this essay. I think it's, it's crazy. <laughs> People just it's crazy stuff. to be like, I'm looking... I'm going to look at all of history. I'm going to analyze it. And then I'm going to conclude after looking at all of history. It's over. It's over, baby. That it's, it's all over. This is, this is it. This is what we have now. This is the one. Imagine if, if somebody in the Roman empire was like, I looked at any new ideas. No one's going to want to come up with any new ideas. We are done, baby. This is This is the best one. We found (laughs) it. And we all agree. It's number one. (laughs) Imagine, imagine if like some writer in like the, like the Roman, ancient Roman period was like, you know what? This is the best. Imagine if somebody wrote that down. This is the best period. They probably did. But imagine if that became like the tome that everybody fucking reads. You go to like the fucking ancient Roman market and someone's like, did you read the end of history by yeah, like did you know history is Marxist over? Aquinas? Did you know did that, you know history is over? And they'd done. be like, oh fuck. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Literally the whole fucking meanwhile, Pompeii is like fucking burning to the ground. Yeah. Well, it's so, like on the surface, it this is like very ridiculous and naive and obviously untrue. Um, Jacques Derrida responded at the time something really funny that I wanted to share. And he said, at, at a time when some have the audacity to neo-evangelize in the name of the idea of a liberal democracy that has finally realized itself as the ideal of human history, never have violence, inequality, exclusion, famine, and thus economic oppression affected as many human beings in the history of the earth and of humanity. Instead of singing the advent of the idea of liberal democracy and of the capitalist market in the euphoria of the end of history, instead of celebrating the end of ideologies and the end of great emancipatory discourses, let us never neglect this obvious macroscopic fact made up of innumerable singular sites of suffering. No degree of progress allows one to ignore that never before in absolute figures have so many men, women, and children been subjugated, starved, or exterminated on the earth. 
These this is I these mean, are the kind of epic clapbacks that you get when we have public intellectuals. Like not to hand I, it to a French guy, but wasn't that fun? Wasn't that fun to hear? I just you, I mean, you know, you know I love intellectual, you know, uh spheres of drama. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, they love fighting each like, other. It's listen, hilarious. It's it is not only obvious, it's macroscopic. You have to be so fucking blind and stupid to not even see. Like, he's literally like, you're blind? You're dumb? Well, I love it when they go in like that because it's like, they get angry that they even have to respond because they're like, you are not on my level, you little ant. Look at this macroscopic You are the gum fact. on my shoe. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that like let's put aside all the dumb shit you said before and let's focus on the one thing that is supremely dumb which is that you think everything's cool yeah <laughs> everything's rosy but I, I think that, that we fun. can like acknowledge that it is on the surface like extremely naive and silly but I think that there's an underlying message that isn't like the earnest belief that history is over it is a call to evangelize and it's also a threat um the end of history may be near but as he says the victory of political liberalism hasn't happened just yet like it's it's still on the way inevitable though it may be uh, <laughs> I can't help but giggle. he still claims that future conflicts are going to see like the tensions of this um inevitable transformation simply naturally occurring. Um, And while there may not be any aggressor as there were in like a territory disputes or two warring sides in a warfare over ideas, like there was still going to be conflict that would occur as we go through this inevitable transformation at the end of history. And as you might remember from our last episode, the U.S. military's budget was cut in response to the belief that there was less of a need for growing it in the wake of the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, And so there's this idea that like inevitable conflict due to liberal democracy naturally spreading that would sort of be that problem solved, wouldn't it? Because then we need to prepare for that conflict without ever directly initiating any war. It's like, well, it's, you know, the next conflict, it's going to happen. And where is it going to be? Maybe any of the locations that don't have um, our flavor of liberal democracy yet. Let's just prepare Mm. for when it inevitably happens in those places, in those locations, just in case. You know, we Who might knows? need to, you know, like, let's just, let's just keep our toolbox handy, just in case. Maybe you guys need some help. Yeah, they're, prob- they're probably going to need some delicious, help. Who's going to yeah, be. with all that delicious crude oil you have. And, and <laughs> the tensions from transitioning mm-hmm. to liberal democracy, oh, which of course. What's, what's you somebody think about the tensions? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that just preparing for tensions, that wasn't good enough to feed the beast. Um, <laughs> because the beast powers the United States and its friends, and it needs to be fed wars in order to spit out money. And so in response to this essay, which was later turned into a book, but you really can just read the essay. I've read the book and it's, I mean, it's like, it's done from start to finish. The Mm -hmm. essay gets across 
what's dumb about it in a shorter space of time. Um, but Samuel Huntington, in response to that, came out with Clash of Civilizations and the Remaking of World Order, which is a pretty ominous title. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want anyone to tell me how they're going to remake the World Order, honestly. But uh, that that title does imply how the book basically goes. Um, he also first published it as an essay. And I think we're going to link both of those in the description because I know you guys aren't reading and you should at least read the essays. Um, Huntington believed that, yeah, ideology, that shit's over. We're not going to be fighting over ideas anymore. But war is still going to happen. He says, okay, war is over ideology. They ended. And obviously, we can all agree, liberal democracy is won, and it's inevitable, (laughs) of course. But, he says, hold on. It is my hypothesis that the fundamental source of conflict in this new world will not be primarily ideological or primarily economic. The great divisions among mankind and the dominating source of conflict will be cultural. Nation states will remain the most powerful actors in world affairs, but the principal conflicts of global politics will occur between nations and groups of different civilizations. So, I mean, if you've you've lived through the past, I don't know, 20 years, you might be able to see where this is going, what kinds of groups he's talking about. But, uh... For those of you who were born 10 years ago, five years ago, yesterday, um, I'll, I'll pretend like I don't know where this is going. He cites uh, globalization as the reason for this, and he calls globalization the process of economic modernization and social change through the world are separating people from longstanding local identities. They also weaken the nation state as a source of identity. So he's like saying the spread of global capitalism is changing the interaction across nation state lines that people have more interaction, like internationally are able to move um, internationally. And there is a heightened awareness of like other cultures and other identities and that those identities are like mixing more often because of this like economic globalization. Um, and that this is going to just become more and more true, leading to a heightened awareness of the differences among cultures, which will cause a clash. As as he says hey. in the title, there will be a clash of civilizations. But you might have noticed that he said that Nation state and local identities were both weakened as sources of identities. So he's saying like patriotism out the window. Who cares about that shit anymore? Ethnicity and race over with. That's done. People don't care about that shit either Um, because people are moving around globally. So it's like they're, they're just discarding their, you know, ethnic group and going somewhere else. They are leaving their country to be where they can make more money. People don't care about that shit anymore. Race, over. Patriotism, 
Done. So what's what's the source of the clash? If people, uh, they don't care about that shit anymore. If race is done. Um, Huntington goes on to say, in much of the world, religion has moved in to fill this gap, often in the form of movements that are labeled fundamentalists. Such movements are found in Western Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, and Hinduism, as well as in Islam. Um, he thinks he's being sneaky, leaving Islam for last. <laughs> but he's, he's not, like, you know, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam. What'd you say? No, no, no. <laughs> he, he thinks that he got us. But then when he goes on to make this point again, he illustrates it with even more than ethnicity. Religion discriminates sharply and exclusively among people. A person can be half French and half Arab simultaneously and even a citizen of two countries. It is more difficult to be half Catholic and half Muslim. (laughs) The ultimate struggle to decide whether to participate in Ramadan or Ash Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah. I also, you know, can a person be half French and half Arab and have no problem I uh I know people in France. I know how how things yeah. go over there. I I don't know if that's if that's true. Um but we're going to we're going to pretend that we agree, I guess, for the yeah. sake of understanding his argument. He is saying a oh, religion all kinds, who knows? Any any religion, fundamentalism, any of them, mm-hmm. that's going to be the source of conflicts in the future. Oh, what what kind what religions? Hmm. Well, could be any of them, but let's take a look at at those at those Islam people. They they seem yeah. to be up to something. Um, and so I do. I really recommend the essay that Huntington published in Foreign Affairs in 1993. It's like not it's not good, but you can. Um, and I think it's important to read it as like a historical document. But you can take my word for it that. It and the book pays like lip service to the religious mm-hmm. differences of various groups, but pretty quickly, strongly narrows in on Islam as the dominant clashing religion that will be the source of future conflicts. And there are many uh, obvious problems with both of these essays, um, given that they were both written by reactionary losers, but. The main one that I have is that despite Fukuyama's claim that Marx doesn't understand Hegel and he does, <laughs> they are they are both insufficiently dialectical. Like obviously you can look at the past 40 years of history and see that Islamists have been involved in a lot of violent conflict, like both in the West and in like the Middle East, North Africa region. But even if we were to put aside how many of those groups were trained and funded mm-hmm. or even like put in power by Western nations. Like, I don't know if everyone knows that the British empire backed the Al Saud family and put them in charge of the region that they, they called Saudi Arabia. They named it after themselves. Um, or that the United <laughs> States like literally paid for the guy that coined the term offensive jihad, which like I think is now what many people just think of as jihad, but yeah. He was the guy that came up with, like, it's fine to do stuff that's violent to other people before they do anything uh, to you first. 
And the United States paid for that guy to go to college. But like pretending none of that even happened, it still ignores the reality of like colonialism and the conditions that it created for violent and extremist groups to thrive. Like it's not a unique problem of Islam. It is just that Islam happened to be the dominant religion of a colonized region, but neither of these texts are like truly attempting to analyze current like conditions to make predictions for the next future. They're looking for justifications for the next war. They're like telegraphing why the next war is going to happen. Even if you looked at historical precedent for like, if you're, if you're, buying into the argument that um about like religion being the next thing that's going to fuel a war um and you're trying to look at like historical precedent wouldn't you be looking more towards uh christian fundamentalism wouldn't you be looking like maybe inwardly (laughs) and being like oh christian fundamentalism kind of threatening the western nations in which they reside um yeah like, but they're not just, about to drop a bomb on Joel Austin's mega yeah. church. That's not <laughs> happening. This is it is there's no oil there. Truly not like a serious analysis of Islam or the Middle East or culture or any of that. It is really just like laying the groundwork for where the next war should happen and what reasons we're going to give for it. And so with this history lesson complete. The development of video games as a military training and recruitment tool, I think, like fits perfectly into context. But as a little tree, I I think we can include it in the description. We also on our yeah, website yeah. have a list of citations and you can look at the full image on there. But there's this wonderful map that Sam Huntington made of the world, <laughs> letting us know what he thinks the various civilizations are and i can read them out we've got mm-hmm. western orthodox islamic buddhist hindu african latin american cynic i know that word from reading i know like it means like asian yeah but it's like is mm-hmm. it cynic or cynic i don't know i think it's i think it's cynic but okay. I, cynic it might be cynic. but then also japanese they get their own um <laughs> And it's, it's truly, it's a, it's a marvel to look at this map and to wonder, wow, how the, how does this man's mind work? And I hope that when he dies, they study his mind for science. I love the idea of Africa as its own, (laughs) own civilization, all on its own. But then Japan gets to be its own thing. I mean, I think that many people... Would agree that like Japanese culture is different from like the culture of people in China, but why are they, why is China and Korea why are they the same? Um, yeah, and what's how did they decide who gets to be African and who gets to be Islamic? Because they yeah. let they let Islamic take over a lot there's, of Africa. There's little parts of the uh, Islamic countries that are just. Ha- like they're just kind of cut in half. Yeah, here. and I mean, there's a like lot a quarter and eight in Northern Africa are Muslim, but like, uh, it's not like it stops at any any borderline. It's fa- it's no. fascinating. It's a fascinating map. But that's my treat for you all. Take a look at it. It's it's fun to look at. 
Um, and now it's time to talk about how all of this relates to video games. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, here we go. <laughs> um, so during the early 1900s, um, as we're all being told, history's over. It's the it's history's done. over party. It's done. Done. It's over. Hashtag Finis- history is over. Hashtag history Finis. is canceled. Hashtag Basta. no more done. ideology. Hashtag liberal <laughs> democracy. Uh, FTW. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. It's canceled. Um, the Pentagon during this time was uh, looking to video games, which were rapidly growing uh, in popularity. Did I say the 1900s? I meant the 1990s. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I heard you and I was like, well, yeah, history's over in video games. Technically. It's the year 1901. (laughs) (laughs) They're playing Pong and it's just two guys holding a ping pong and just (laughs) a guy pointing as to where it should go. It's Um, fine. When we make mistakes, no one can correct yeah. us. Yeah. It's the 1990s, okay? It's it's the era that BuzzFeed, you know, loves to remember. Y'all will not let some of the, the 90s world... die. And we, yeah, we they... need to actually be done with it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's done. Millennials. History's it's over. over. It's done. The 90s History's are over. done. Your, your pogs are over. No one knows what Rugrats is. No more 90s nostalgia. It's over. No one it's over. No one it's cares done. about what 90s kids remember. No one. Not a single person. I, in I, some ways, am a 90s kid, and I remember nothing. My memory yeah, begins our, with 9-11. <laughs> yeah, it kind of starts there, honestly. I don't remember shit from the 90s. I was six. And that's fine. I think I was, yeah. I was four or five. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, 90s over. No one no, no one cares if you called like the movie theater in order to get movie times. We no one gives actually, a fuck. Actually, sorry. No, no, no. You know, we should bring back from the 90s though is is not. People don't use that anymore and it's actually pretty good. Not. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, Kendall, really I really like your eyes. Not. not. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny every time. It's like it you, you thought I was about to say something nice to you, and, I, and then I didn't. Yeah. I took it away. <laughs> Ooh, and um, whatever major, whatever major. I think that's two thousands. Is that two thousands? Yeah. Millennials, don't email me and, and Lizzie McGuire. Do not tell me. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about a video lot games? of like really? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, video um, <laughs> They were rapidly growing um, in popularity as a form of entertainment media. It's thanks in no small part to uh, the U.S. military's efforts, which we learned about in the last episode. Um, I don't know why you're still here if you haven't listened to part one. Um, Military eggheads. Yeah, (laughs) they're dumb. You're dumb. Um, Military eggheads uh, began to wonder if they could uh, harness skills taught in gameplay to optimize the changing landscape of the war they prophesized um, and were trying to build to fruition, which doesn't, um, I feel like after a certain point, I think a lot of people um, kind of got the idea that um, learning something in a video game does not mean you've learned a skill. That's not true. um, That'll translate. That's not what the Pentagon decided. Okay. That's not the official. That's not what the Pentagon decided. I think it's just, you know, 
when once, you die uh, in the game, you die in real life, Kendall. <laughs> so when you learn in the game, you learn in real life. Yeah, it's true. Totally. You just you learn everything you need to know. Um, they were bringing a hooked I'm, on phonics approach to yeah, yeah. the military, and like yeah, I I it's think like when that you play guitar hero and you're like maybe I maybe I know how to play guitar now. Okay, have I? I'm gonna tell a little story about Guitar Hero, Ooh. and then Ooh. and then I will start talking about video games. But um, when I was in middle school, we had an annual talent show, and every year it was honestly bad. And I knew it was bad at the time because it's like kids are trying to sing. I never want to hear a kid sing, especially when they're singing fucking show tunes. It's not great. <laughs> And it's mostly, like, kids trying to sing or, like, a kid that just started taking lessons on their instrument kind of, like, plinking away at the Beatles song that their, like, music Aww. teacher was teaching them how to play. Like, it's it's not fantastic. Um, be that as it may, I was I, – I did enter myself in the talent show contest with a group of students to impersonate – the Spice Girls, which I think was actually kind of kind of cool, and so I, mean, I remember that in rehearsals there was one kid who was like, "No, I don't need to rehearse. I'm good. I'll I'll be fine when it happens." And the teachers that were orchestrating it were always like, "You sure that you don't want to rehearse? It's it's kind of nervous making to be on stage in front of everyone." And he's like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'll be fine." Um, fast forward to the day of the talent show, all the kids do their silly little show tunes, acoustic guitar routines, Mm -hmm. uh, the whole nine yards, someone does the worm. I, Ah. I have to be scary spice because you know, um, (laughs) if you are uh, black and you were born in the nineties, um, and you, ever had to be scary spice uh, by default you may be entitled to financial compensation um <laughs> hit me up so that we can do a class action lawsuit but anyway so it's it's finally this kid's time to go on and he uh brings his playstation i think that's what it was um to the person that's like running the sound and uh, gets up on stage and oh. has the projector oh. come down. And he, with his back to the projector, not looking at it, plays oh. through the fire and flames on Guitar Hero. <laughs> Advanced mode. <laughs> and let me tell you, I have, I have not seen a longer standing ovation than I did that day from everyone in the middle school. Cause we were all like, Oh, this is, this I is mean, simply epic. Through the fire and flames, advanced mode on guitar. If I saw Hero, that now, not even if looking I like paid, at the screen, he just knows it like that. You know what? If I paid to go to like a hundred Gex show and like he opened and did that, I bet it would still whip. You would be the I bet oldest would person go crazy. at 100 Gex. I probably would. 28. Yeah. That's a 100 year old older. 
I'm a gecking elder. <laughs> in in some circles, 28 would be considered a young adult, but in mm. 100 Gex fan club circles, geriatric uh, <laughs> <laughs> at death's door. <laughs> would you get into the pit with all the 18 year olds? I don't like getting into the pit period, and I never did because oh. I was anxious and neurotic. You and I are such different people. I would get into yeah. the pit with 18-year-olds, and in fact, I did that when I went to 100 Gex last year, and I knocked them to the floor. I don't, um, <laughs> I don't like being pushed. Oh, that's the... But they're not pushing you I know, that's you. the point. I know, I know. I, it's still just... It, it freaks... It makes... It literally sets my nerves on fire. Like, I just... Mm. I just start panicking, and I can't actually, like... Mosh, I can't be in the pit. I'm like a terrible person to be in the pit with. I'm telling you right now, like, I just freeze. Well, it's- I will remember this and not invite you to come see Death Grips with me in Philadelphia when I see them. I'm pretty excited <laughs> for it. It's happening in October, everyone. Death Grips, they're back. Um, but back to back to video games. By yeah. 2001, um, if anyone remembers the year 2001, some things took place in that year. And one of the things that happened was that our our friends in the Pentagon, they had kind of finished their wondering about how exactly they could harness the skills taught in gameplay. And they named those skills in a 2001 Army Science Board paper. And they said that weaned on video games, teenagers were great multitaskers. And... <laughs> Because because of their video games, they preferred concrete reasoning over abstract. They preferred learning information in a hands-on uh, empirical way. And they cared about becoming digitally literate. They were interested in honing their skills in analyzing image, videos, and uh, like other multimedia in addition to text. And this is the lamest way to say that they enjoyed uh playing video games what they were saying is that all these kids are on adderall um (laughs) but they were like so all these they enjoyed analyzing images and videos in addition to text yeah me too when i go on my phone and i look at images on tumblr (laughs) should i be part of the military well yeah if they had gotten to you in time but i think like 100 gex you're a little bit too old for the military (laughs) you can't enlist now and also, they don't, you know, you can't even get in the pit. You can last a day in boot camp. <laughs> it's I'm all pit neurotic. there. That's <laughs> okay. I don't think I could be part of the military anyway it's, because they yeah. would tell me to climb a wall and I'd be like, you want me to do what? You want me to climb a wall? Well, like, okay, climbing, I'm not, climbing well, I can't, a wall is I'm kind of fun. <laughs> I'll climb a fence, you know, but it's like... You know, rock climbing. I don't know. I've done it once or twice. It's, like, fine. Hmm. Well, I'm not trying to get you to join the military. It's it's fine yeah. that you wouldn't last yeah. a day at boot camp. You have other skills. I just, I don't, and I also don't like people yelling at me. If someone was like, go do that right now, I'd be like, ew, who who yells? Like, I'm, it's I'm going home. Like, we don't need you to, to do boot camp. It's okay that you don't have the requisite skills to do I'm well valid. In I'm valid for not enlisting. Because it's like, what, what, what were you going to do there? It's fine. We don't need you to be good at it. But the teens, the video gaming teens, they were, maybe, they had 
they had the potential to be really good. And all these skills that they learned gaming were skills that were going to be key in the new style of war. And they could improve these skills by playing video games even more. Um, one of our other friends, U.S. or former U.S. Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, <laughs> um, you might know him from being one of George W. Bush's puppeteers or from his epic speech about known knowns and yes. uh, known unknowns. And I'm going to ask our producer, Lane, if she can play a clip from that in case you haven't heard it, because it's it's. I mean, it's a top top tier speech. Top tier. Really funny. Top they tier. don't let you say stuff one like of, that anymore. One of the best uh, sleep. One of the best sleeper hits of, of a, the W era. I think it was a hit hit at the time. I think people loved it. Reports that say there's that 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 something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. You know, he when he met the Pope, he said, it's nice to meet you, your impotence. He meant your eminence, <laughs> I think. But maybe he didn't mean your eminence. And this is like the, the thing about like being an airhead that I kind of love is I, I have a reputation outside of the podcast for being a little bit dumb, which I'm not, but I, I don't know. I think it's like the way that I speak or something. People are always surprised when they find out that I'm a 300 IQ genius. But when people think it's that a you're bond dumb, we share. <laughs> you can get away with saying anything. And then you can just say to the Pope, hello, your impotence. And then um, just be he's like, like, oh, you, you're so stupid. <laughs> Um, I don't know if that was the <laughs> like, case Aw. for George W. Bush, but what I do know about George W. Bush is that he is a cancer. Anyway, Donald Rumsfeld <laughs> considered the skills learned in gaming essential to the revolution that he was Sorry. trying to make happen in military What's Donald affairs. Rumsfeld sign? That is actually a fantastic question, and I yeah, wish I knew the answer to that, and I don't, so I'm going to look that up, but what do we think it is? Okay, um, I'm, I'm thinking, I want you him know, to also be a Cancer, because I think that that would he's, be fun. He's puppeteering, he's puppeteering uh, W, right? He's, like, in charge of a Cancer. I'm going to say that he's also like, a Cancer, because he loves to be I in wanna charge. I want to say Gemini. And Cancers like to be in charge, and also, have you seen Vanderpump Rules? Yes, of course. So you know how much like chaos and destruction that cast gets up to? <laughs> yeah. And they are all cancers. And what I learned oh. is that when you put like 12 cancers in a room, it's just like bad shit happens. You don't want that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, for my own sake, say that he is probably a cancer and then we'll see if I'm right or not. But that's just based on what I want and not. Mm-hmm. Oh, but guess what? <laughs> he is a cancer. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> okay, wait. Now I got to look up Dick Cheney. Is he also a cancer? Don't forget Condoleezza also. True. Okay, Dick Cheney, is, his birthday is January 30th, so okay, not a cancer. Capricorn. Aquari Aquarius. Oh, Aquarius. Aquarius. Come on. Right. Come on. I know. I know. Okay. I know. We're doing Condoleezza Rice? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Scorpio. 
And then mm, okay. the other, sorry, the other like big player perhaps is like, um, let's go with Colin Powell. Although mm-hmm. I don't think he did 9-11. I think he was just, he was just around. He was, he was just hanging around. You know that he and Pete Wentz are cousins? Yeah, I did. I did know that actually. I think we talked about it before in like a Patreon episode. Colin Powell's an Aries. So there's only two cancers. But that's still still too many. Too many in a room. Anyhow. <laughs> Donald Rumsfeld. He's trying to bring about a little military revolution, sort of in line with the goals laid out in Clash of Civilizations, but, you know, in like a sneaky way. And so mm-hmm. for that to happen, he wanted to see technological improvements and also improvements in Air Force technology so that troops on the ground would not be as needed in future conflicts. Yes. And then later on in 2001, uh, when the Bush administration was inaugurated, uh, what the else word happened transfer- in 2001? Hmm. You know, I can't recall. Hmm. Gosh. Um, you know, I think a couple cool albums came out around that time. Um, some like albums what? didn't come out around that time, but I don't know why they didn't come out. Um, uh, what was a good album from 2001? Uh, <laughs> I feel like, was was that when a Linkin Park album was released? So you don't even know and you were just I was, saying like... I was, I was thinking of a Linkin Park album and then I realized I don't think I'm right. Okay. I don't think well, I'm right that it came Radio out Radio had put out an album in 2001 that was pretty good. York I mean, put out an album in 2001 that was pretty good. And my favorite band, The Dismemberment Plan, put out their album Change in 2001. So we've got I The White name, Stripes, White Blood Cells. You just Googled we've got, it. Yeah, I did. It's and you're you. naming The White Stripes. No, I didn't. I know that Change came out in 2001 <laughs> by The Dismemberment Plan. Okay, but how about how about Is This It by The Strokes? Because that, that album... Uh, so the first one that you go to name is the White Stripes. Because I was, yes, yes. You know what? Yeah. Were you a White Stripes <laughs> fan? Yeah, I was. <laughs> the silence is deafening. It's fine. It's fine. I take his side <laughs> in his war against the Black Keys. So mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. But albums you know, didn't come out but, in 2001. Well, a lot of songs started not being played on the radio, um, but I don't know why. Mm, must have been some unrelated reason, you know? Mm. Maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe they just they just released a bunch of bad tapes, you know? Bad Batch. They just couldn't play for happens. whatever reason. <laughs> happens, you know? Um, but this is when the Bush administration was inaugurated, um, and the word transformation was like a favorite buzzword of the pentagon um you never want to see doing, that you know they've, they've, been, they've been the pentagon had been going on a lot of walks they've been taking some it's, gap it's years like when your boss they've been like begins a meeting being like we're gonna make some changes around here you never want to hear the people in charge no. talk about transformation no 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 transformation no upward mobility no 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 um you know the Pentagon. They've been they've been taking some walks. They've been taking they've been backpacking and taking some gap years. And they did some soul searching mm. after the Cold War. 
And after getting their budget cut, they were, you know, Where'd they go for devastated. Their <laughs> God, um, you could have just said rock. More... Yeah, I could have just said rock. You know, they went there in yeah. the nineties. That, that's true. They did go in there in the nineties. Um, yeah, they took a gap year in Iraq. They did a lot of soul searching after the Cold War. They're trying to figure out what the next war could be in order to appease the beast. The beast. And yes, the beast demonic in nature um and felt that the future of war uh was not going to be to opposing states but rather a quote-unquote asymmetric warfare uh Mm. between opponents of very different strengths and capabilities such as perhaps the united states against well i mean I really, you know, it's it's like like crusade, crusade vibes. Mm-hmm. They're going up against mm-hmm. the entire, the entire religion of Islam, but specifically in the yeah. countries that might have a little bit of uh, ooh, a three letter word, uh, <laughs> oil. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, and it's then after nine- warfare when I'm shoplifting. Yeah. Sorry, what happened after 9-11? <laughs> oh, God, 9-11. That's what it was. Mm. Um, after 9-11, when George Bush's administration uh, definitely did on purpose. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, they kept saying yeah. all the time in the 90s that the, that the next war was going to be a culture clash. And then, ooh, look at us. They they found a little culture for us to clash and with. And then, oh, oops, I just fell into that building. I didn't mean it. Um <laughs> Baby, I promise. Um, Rumsfeld uh, pushed even harder to ensure uh, the military prioritized skills found in gamers at the expense of the reduction of ground forces, which did not go well in Iraq. No, it did not. Put it very mildly. I mean... Did not go well. You do not have to hand it to them. No, I mean, the, the, the war in Iraq went, like, pretty... Poorly for the United States, um, the U.S. obviously did not win, and there are various reasons for that related to the incompetence and like arrogance of the Bush administration. Um, but definitely one of them is that they decided that uh, like troops on the ground would not be as necessary because you know gamers had changed the world but Mm -hmm. the results of the war in iraq notwithstanding the role of american soldiers like it did change pretty drastically in the early 21st century um and like what was required of them changed too no matter what someone's position was there was this idea that every member of the military needed to become more technologically capable and more capable of juggling a variety of complex tasks, just like gamers who multitask. It's just like playing a video game. (laughs) And so all branches of the U.S. military stressed the importance um, of situational awareness um, and implemented that into their training. And that just means that, like, regardless of your physical position that everyone would be expected to have a total awareness not only like of their surroundings but also all the possible information available and be able to use that information to predict future events 
They really thought 2001 was like the minority report that they were just going to be fucking swooshing around all these different they boxes. That when you die in the game, you die in real life. <laughs> and it's true. They thought you life do. was sword art online. Yeah. They're trying to ju- make life it's be exactly sword art like, online. Yeah, it's exactly like sword art online. Um, Which is not good. You know, not good to listeners, watch. Terrible. Listeners. You might. It's terrible. Don't. <laughs> don't. Don't do it. D- don't just like listen to whatever we're talking about and be like, oh, maybe that. No. No. If you read anything, um, read some of these essays that that I like. Yeah. Do not watch Sword Art Online. <laughs> um, you know, listeners, you might remember um, the Institute for Creative Technologies from the last episode, which was a think tank and product development center uh in the u.s um that the military could make use of in training again like we said in the rationalists episode anything that labels itself as a think tank just walk the other way don't do it um yeah jim (laughs) it's just it's a it's a bad idea don't don't go in that tank i would never think it's dirty it hasn't been cleaned i think in nice places like on my podcast i think outside uh-huh. I think in my podcast, I go outside, I think in the world. I don't think in a dang tank. You kids today with your tanks and your phones. Um, Jim Corris, who was the former director of this institute, uh, said that the military, quote, decided it needed to think less about educating mm. people on the physics of artillery tubes and start teaching them how to make smart discriminations very quickly in close urban fights, training in cognitive decision making. So they literally said, think tank, think less. <laughs> start inter- they, they were like, think tank, think less, start uh operating on instinct more again Just like in like a these, game you got to train yeah. train your instincts in the video game i love like that they like they were like yeah presumptuously being like you know what um they're gonna have to do like urban fights these fu- these fuckers are gonna be fighting like john wick all over there um they're gonna need to know exactly like how to fight in close combat it's it's um, interesting that that you're calling it think less because they were calling it think more because they're like Mm -hmm. you need to be strategic just like in the video game you need to be thinking you need to be decision making very quickly like on instinct because of all of the training that you had done in practicing making these decisions like in 2003 well at that point wouldn't you call that like half muscle memory half like instinct i think it's it's Um, like flashcards they wanted they wanted it to be like flashcards where you learn you learn how to fight through or i guess not just how to fight you learn what is required of you in the military like through uh physical experience or phys- virtual experience rather than like studying the principles of just, it and then putting them into help, action when I the can't situation help but requires think it. It's a bad idea. I can't help well, but think virtual. It's a bad idea to train people to just think entirely with instinct. They did not instinct. win the Iraq war. And as mm. you might remember, nine out of 10 drone strikes do not hit their intended recipients. So you might be onto something. Um, but that's not what our friends at the Pentagon said in 2003 when they published the study (laughs) 
training for future conflicts. And in training for future conflicts, it makes the argument that American soldiers will need to develop their thinking skills, despite what Kendall has to say, um, <laughs> as well as their weapons handling skills and their physical fitness, um, all in line with the idea that warfare is changing. Dr. Ralph Chatham, and I'm only going to call him doctor one time so that you know that he got a PhD, but I'm not, I am not going to call him doctor again because I do not respect him. Honestly, they just needed a doctor on the paper. I don't respect most doctors or most people with PhDs, but he co-authored this study. And at the time, he was a program director at DARPA. Maybe you remember DARPA from our last episode. You Um, keep we keep saying remember. Just go listen to it already. Well, they might (laughs) no, but like maybe they listened to it a while ago and they've forgotten. And I'm saying call back. You may maybe you remember DARPA. Then listen to it again. Yeah. This is a series. We planned planned these connections out. We introduced you to DARPA last time. Now we're bringing DARPA back. And so Mm -hmm. Mr. Program Director of DARPA, he says, everybody must think. He wrote (laughs) that 21st century warfare demands had increased the cognitive demands on even the most junior levels of the military. Everyone must think. It seems like you don't agree. Um, that they were all thinking. I know. I just. But he I, says I that they were a, all thinking. I think it's a. I think it's a funny phrase. Just everybody must think because they, like they didn't poops. think before, but now they have to. Yeah, but now they have to because war is changing. Civilizations uh-huh. are clashing. Where it's a new yeah, day. Def- history's over. Liberal <laughs> democracy is won. Time to think, everyone. Time to think now. Um, so in training for future conflicts, it laid the groundwork for uh, the military relying on a game-based approach to training. Um, Ralph uh, Chatham claimed that the military pr- uh, proficiency would depend just as much on the intellectual capabilities of soldiers handling technology as the technological prowess of the weapons themselves. It wasn't just enough to... Cre- so. Basically, it's not enough to create a big boom boom gun that uh, shoots really, really big bullets. Um, You also need soldiers to be able to think quickly and use complex reasoning to use those tools to their max capacity. Damn, I Um, wish Greg was here so that we could say something besides big boom boom gun. I bet he would know the names of the guns. Yeah. That's kind we of need, what, we need our token man to come that's what on. Men, and are tell great us for. men know what <laughs> guns are called. They know like the capitals of every country. They I don't know, they, 50 caliber they'll be like, is that big? We're we have to face north, and they'll just know where north is. <laughs> they'll know where north is. They'll know exactly where the stud is in your wall. It's true. Um, yeah. They just know. Men know can, that like, I support them. you when you are able to tell me if we are facing north. <laughs> I I John's always gonna, appreciate John's it. gonna text you after this and be like, why are you talking about men again on your podcast? I appreciate um, them when they do tasks for me that accomplish my needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? Greg, why don't you why don't you DM us when you after yeah, you listen tell to this us and the tell name us about some gun. guns? Where any any man, <laughs> any man listening, open invitation to let <laughs> me know the, names, the of names of large guns. You are opening yourself up to some really <laughs> weird messages. Do not say your penis. 
I already know. <laughs> I'm more just thinking about the the kinds of like the, the, the kinds of people who know a lot of guns. Uh, like our friend Greg. <laughs> yeah, like our friend Greg. Do, but do you have also something bad people. to say about Greg? And people Nothing like you have Greg. to say about Greg. <laughs> I'm moving on. Okay. <laughs> no segue. Uh-huh. Um, so Chatham said that. I think it's uh, Chatham. The... Chatham? Because there's an H. Well, I'm thinking of like Massachusetts, like Chatham, you know. Where's the, where's the T-H like in a... Massachusetts? No, no, no! It's like like there's a lot of Massachusetts towns that like have this like structure of like the th is meant to be like chat. Oh, this is some like, New England shit. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing out my white New England culture into this. You got me. <laughs> Over the lamest fucking thing. Um. <laughs> Chatham said that the speed, degree, and duration of complicated cognitive tasks uh, that soldiers were expected to perform meant significant improvements in military training were required. So, in other words, they really needed the skills they of gamers. gamers. They they had studied the blade, and they were they were prepared. And ready <laughs> they were to ready to use the real blade. Yeah, they're ready to use the real blade. Because when you study the blade, the blade in the video game. <laughs> You study the blade in real life. In real life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, specifically, uh, Ralphie Boy argued that uh, contemporary military training should be modeled on the massive multiplayer online uh, video game, the MMOG. Um, you could also, you would probably also know it as like an MMORPG or just an MMO. Um, I, nope. I'm, I'm talking more generally to the oh, audience. I know okay. you don't know. <laughs> All right. M- MMO is just multi- massive multiplayer online. MMORPG just means massive multiplayer online role-playing video game. So um, the role-playing part like has to do with a couple different things due to the genre. It doesn't really matter in this case. Um, where hundreds of thousands of participants, they're basically simultaneously playing in virtual environments. Think of Club Penguin. Think of um, Final think Fantasy that Online. Club Penguin trains you for the military, but I could be wrong. Can you? Can I mean, you name that any sledding game was pretty hard in in Club Penguin that you think would be applicable to the Iraq War. Um, I think that you know the the sledding game was really hard. I think there's the, there's that little spy club under the uh, there's that little spy room under the nightclub. Um, and tipping the iceberg, it's kind of like fracking. A lot of those people like use the little like um, uh, jackhammer emoji. Like I would consider that to be fracking. So, so maybe you could have you could have enlisted in the military yeah. and been like, been- I have extensive club penguin <laughs> experience, and I bring um, a unique perspective. Yeah. No, they're more thinking of like Call of Duty, um, maybe World of Warcraft, uh, possibly like one of the other uh, online games like, I don't know, Diablo. Fucking, I don't know. But any kind of game that's like um, deals with combat and has a massive I don't think that they would necessarily have to be combat games in order to fit the like requirements for the sort of cognitive training that they were looking to video games to introduce to people because it's also like like strategy 
and also be yeah. able to like hit like uh juggle like a variety of um tasks at once and then and like, also execute people them. yeah you know there's there's a lot of participants in a certain area you might be having multiple conversations at once um and especially with like world of warcraft there was yeah. a lot of like, or, like um, strategy before animal, going into like a dungeon crossing, perhaps yeah. you gotta you gotta Te- get all teamwork. your tasks done in animal crossing you gotta think about all your tasks at the same yeah. time i actually i well, don't really know yeah. but well you know yeah, I'm a, you you do tasks, right? I do tasks. I do tasks. Yeah, if you're in Animal Crossing, you do tasks. Is that well, a strategy-based you know, game? I wouldn't call it a strategy-based game necessarily, unless okay. the strategy is like gentle fishing and like shaking a tree every once in a while. Okay. Um. So maybe not applicable for the yeah. demands of war. But I, who, I'm who do I? Who am I to say? I don't know. Hey. I don't work for DARPA. Yeah, we don't know. Um, but we do know that gamers possess. Very s- particular set of skills Ooh, um, that they've already kind of listed. Yeah, I know who you are. I have over three hundred confirmed kills. No, no, I'm doing Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, uh, as we've kind of already gone through, like the military believes that. They have these skills like being able to manage multiple streams of data within a game, uh, tackling a series of problems at once, like where are the opposing forces? Who is talking to me? Who are my teammates? Where is my medic? Uh, How much time do I have left to complete a mission? How many bullets do I have left? What's the quickest way out of the hospital? What's that noise? What's that noise? Is fucking Leroy Leroy Jenkins going into the goddamn dungeon without us before we've even finished planning? What slurs Um, should I call my friends? What slurs should I call my enemies? (laughs) Is there a girl playing? Do I hit on her or do I do do a hate crime? Honestly, Um, they ask that in the military too. These are all relevant. Yeah, they're all like, relevant. What all... slurs do I use? Should I sexually harass this woman? Yeah, these are all directly relevant skill to the skills uh, Chatham and the rest of the U.S. military believed would be essential to training. So, like when a gamer is gaming, those questions are still on their mind until the gameplay is over. Just as they wanted a soldier to be uh, thinking on the battlefield, uh, Chatham wrote that MMOGs uh, represented the next leap forward from the simulation-based combat training centers uh, the armed forces had used in the 1970s and You want to know who attended some of these simulation-based combat training centers? Look up really any member, yeah. any of the early founding members of Al-Qaeda. They were, <laughs> they were at these. They were not they playing were video games. They were learning uh, more f- physical on-the-ground military mm-hmm. skills. Um, yeah, maybe maybe some stuff with monkey bars. But it was, you be- know. It was before um, they had figured out gaming. Maybe if it had happened ten yeah. years later, they'd be teaching like Alza Yuri <laughs> how to play Animal Crossing or how to do like Sims a, a fucking headshot, like one v one on Rust or whatever. I'm saying words to you. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I bet I, our listeners probably appreciate those Oh, words. they're probably clapping their hands and they're like, I know what that is. <laughs> um, Chatham's vision of the, of overhauling military training through uh, video games was a product of his very uniquely extensive experience in that realm. Uh, so during his time at DARPA, he led the development of the groundbreaking Dar Wars program. <sighs> 
this it's the set of a <laughs> the set of a digital a set of digital uh you, quote universal on demand persistent training wars and that was used from 2003 to 2008 on US military bases around the world um some of you might be familiar with Dar Wars some of you not because eventually it became commercialized um and it was just like it became a game that people played um but during that time period it was mostly just used on military bases uh for training yeah dar wars is a dumb fucking name um you can see that the idea in clash of civilizations about warfare being a culture clash was coming into play within the areas of training that were emphasized in dar wars um i really hate saying dar wars um but those those areas that they were trying to develop skills in from gamers turned soldiers where cross-cultural communication convoy operations infantry tactics and rules of engagement and so the program focused on like individualized instruction direct feedback on performance just in time training and collaborative and self-paced learning in the same elements highlighted in I say Chatham's Art Army Science mm. Board study. Um, and so one of the most popular Dar Wars tools was the game Tactical Iraqi. Although I bet they were saying Iraqi. The way Iraqi, that Americans probably. say like Iraq and Iran. Greats, it's it's grating to my ears. Um, I think it's George Bush's fault. He was like yep. Iran, terrible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, tactical Iraqi trained soldiers in Baghdad Arabic and Iraqi culture, and Chatham says that the game and the larger tactical language and cultural training programs, which is still used, by the way, by both the Army and the Marine Corps, it stemmed from the belief that in today's wars, nonverbal messages are just as important as verbal ones. So players of, of tactical Iraqi would interact with civilians in varying states of distress, just as they might in the real Iraq war, And they needed to keep in mind the rules of uh, culturally competent communication in order to win the game. In the game, that meant that you would be like punished for thumbs upping a civilian or for wearing your sunglasses while holding a conversation because I guess that's, I'm, I'm actually not sure what sort of cultural transgression either of those would be, but I guess that's, yeah. that's what they were. And so this marks like a pretty big difference in the kind of training that entry level military recruits received like in the past cultural competency like didn't really matter um and a entry-level soldier did not need to know about the culture of the place that they were going to be sent to in order to be expected to like carry out missions um but it does make sense when you keep in mind that the war in iraq was like a colonizing one and not just like a dispute over territory, although it was a dispute over resources for sure. And I guess also Mm -hmm. in a way a dispute over territory, but it wasn't like a was, it was not like when 
the British invaded Canada or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it makes sense that like American soldiers on the ground, they would be Iraqis like first point of contact with their new regime and that the Pentagon believed that like the skills necessary for effective communication would be better taught via video game than in a rote memorization format of a class. Although I'm really like, we're going to, we're going to play these games. I have not, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm very committed to primary resources. So I will get, I'll get in touch with these games before our next episode on it. But I'm very curious to know what exactly is emphasized with um, cultural competence. Because, uh, Kenny, are you familiar with Paul Bremer? Do you know who that is? I've heard the name before. Um... You should look up Paul Bremer. um, Oh, this guy. And uh, specifically the picture of when he was made the uh, president, president of Iraq. I'm going to do inaugural uh, inauguration. I don't know if there was an official inauguration, but um, hopefully you can see that this man is rocking Tim's. <laughs> like, he was put in charge of Iraq. Um the, like in an interim way, uh, allegedly, like after um, Saddam was was killed, and uh, I mean, I don't really know if there's a way for like the colonizing force to come across as culturally competent, but I think that having a white guy in Tim's um, and then a suit, like just posing, like a big black suit, right, in photos, and then being like, "I'm the new king of Iraq," that's <laughs> it's hmm. I just doesn't don't seem know. culturally competent. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested to see firsthand what some of these like skills that are taught in the game are to teach competency. I don't understand why like the sunglasses or the thumbs upping is, is it like one of those things where like they think they kind of like bought a travel book well, from like know. some it, white it person and they're something. like, you know, a thumbs up is actually offensive in this country. Um I just, I don't quite. Oh, actually, no, no, no. I know this. I know this. I remember learning this in school. Um, Thumbs up is like, I think this is true in Iran also, uh, kind of equivalent uh, in gesture to like giving someone the middle finger. The finger? Yeah. On the word. However, however, I feel like people in Iraq, they have the internet. They have books and TVs and phones. Um, maybe not everyone had a cell phone back then, but 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 it's like maybe you know, just a level of guy, discernment. Some white guy who is like wearing full military garb breaks into your house and he gives you a thumbs up. I think that the last <laughs> thing on your mind is like is the is he up. giving me the finger? Um, but. You know, it it is very like travel guide sort of approach yeah. to culture. Mm-hmm. Like not thinking about like uh possible words that you could be saying um 
to like comfort a child who's lost or even just like fucking anything <gasps> that like has to do with, a, an, with an emotional child, connection it's, it's already it's cooked but i'm just thinking like if you're if you're talking about like making this whole thing about cultural competency you'd want it to be kind of about like oh find yeah. the ways to culturally connect emotionally because well, the not idea like, that i mean we were all told behind the iraq war was that you mm-hmm. know we were like we U.S. military was going to be greeted as liberators, and mm-hmm. so it. I can see how, with that framing, that part of the training would be like, you want to make sure everyone feels like real comfortable that they feel yeah. like you get them. Don't thumbs up at them because like that'll a, hurt like their a feelings. Disney, like and a Disney World employee, then they'll they'll greet you as a hero, and they'll say, "We love America," and we hate Saddam Hussein and we love liberal democracy, which as we all know in Iraq and everywhere else in the world, it is the end of history. (laughs) If you're one of our younger listeners, you might think Virgil's like joking about like that attitude. They are not. That's, that was very real where they were just like, they, people really, really did think like, yeah, we're, they're just going to say, we hate Saddam and we love you. Like they, there were many people who genuinely is, believed like, it's that. It's not like an Iraq War podcast, but I need our producer to include the clip of George Bush doing this like <laughs> action movie ass TV announcement <laughs> because the day before the invasion of Iraq, he got on TV and was like, you have 24 hours. <laughs> um <laughs> All the decades of deceit and cruelty have now reached an end. Saddam Hussein and his sons must leave Iraq within 48 hours. Their refusal to do so will result in military conflict commenced at a time of our choosing. Anyway, sorry, you were talking about stuff. Another video game developed during this time uh, for training purposes was uh, America's Army. Its creator, Colonel Casey uh, Wardinsky, described the new challenges for American soldiers. Wardinsky sounds Polish. Yeah, I think so. Just putting that out. I'm just putting that out there. Sounds Polish to me. Hmm, sounds Polish. (laughs) You (laughs) You sound like a middle-aged dad. Just like watching TV. I've gone to the Polish, um, what's it called? Like the Polish cultural, cultural, yeah, culture festival. The Polish parade. Um, I used to go like every year up until I I left the East Coast and haven't gone back since the mm. pandemic. But I actually I I've got Polish family members um, that oh. I'm not related to, and they make amazing food and they have terrible politics. <laughs> like dog. I mean, shit. it's kind of like you know that um, that triangle that's like you have to choose two. Um, no, because the Russians like, have the one. same food as them, and mm-hmm. my Russian family members they make the same food. Incredible politics, um, <laughs> but when I have tried at family events to get them into the same room, they oh, there's a clash of ci- there's a clash yeah. of civilizations there. Yeah. <laughs> but incredible food, they they know yeah. their way around a cabbage. That's what I'll say mm. about the Polish. Mm. God, I love cabbage, and so um, do I. Yeah. Uh, so Colonel Casey Wardinsky uh, described the new challenges for American soldiers as, quote, 
our military information tends to arrive in a flood. And it'll arrive in a flood under stressful conditions. And there'll be a hell of a lot of noise. Most of it has been turned into information, and it's still data. How do you filter that? What are your tools? What is your facility for doing that? How much load can you bear? Again, all of these How people that we're quoting. How much load can you bear, Kenny? <laughs> oh, so much. The oh, loads. Yeah? The loads I bear. Well, I guess um, you are an Omega. Mm-hmm. So many loads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all those again. gamers taking loads. <laughs> They're taking payloads. They're taking load loads. Mm. Um, <laughs> and once again, all the uh, our people in the military that we quote, incredible speakers. Yeah. Um, it'll arrive in a flood. And then it'll arrive in a flood under stressful conditions. It'll arrive in a flood. And there'll be a hell of a lot of noise. In a load. In a load. In in that load. <laughs> 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 the... <laughs> Okay. Do people still say that's what she said? Someone should have said that to him after that. I bet someone screaming. They should it's gender a millennial neutral. This is to our podcast. They should gender neutralize that. That's what they said. They mm-hmm. said it. That's what they said. Wow. I, I think you should patent that. Um, <laughs> these were uh, the kind of questions bedeviling um, military thinkers and planners as they failed to adapt to the realities of the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, what Dar Wars and America's Army um, and similar games uh, gave soldiers, uh, Wardinsky said it was, quote, a virtual classroom, a place in the world where you can take your mind. Your body can't go because of distance, time, money or danger. <laughs> and you can separate your experiences from the limitations of our world. Just had to remind you, you can go into this virtual classroom and your body can't go inside the computer. <laughs> <It> can't go. <laughs> Or maybe they can't go inside the computer or it can't literally take you to Iraq when you're playing tactical Iraqi. It's not the magic school bus. It's not like it it can't just suck you in and then suddenly you're in Iraq. I know that we're all confused when we play video games and we all we think look at that computer. We're, we're really in Neopia, but we're not. Okay, we're still here. Yeah, it looks so real in 2003, <laughs> but I promise you, it's not real. You make sure you remember that because if you get too lost, you'll get gamer sickness. They want them to get the gamer sickness. They do, but it's like a different kind of gamer sickness, like the kind that just like gives you hysteria. Like in the Spy Kids 3D movie, where it's just you like go in, you go to mode. That's that's too. Isn't that no? I guess no it's 3D. 3D. Have you, it's like the song "Down with the Sickness." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which also came out in 2001. I found out. So really, yeah. Cool. System of a Down. Is that System of a Down? Or is yeah. that Corn? Oh my god. Okay, Wait, System actually, of okay. is it? Wait, I thought it was Fuck. System of a Down, but it might not be. Ah. No, it's fu- it's, fu- it's fucking neither. It's it's by oh. Disturbed. Oh, ew. See, this is how I know that I'm really not a '90s kid. Like, mm-hmm. we rag on the Zoomers, but truly, I'm one. I'm one of you. I I mean, yeah. like factually, I am, but I don't. I don't remember the '90s. I barely remember the early 2000s. All I know, I vaguely do. I so unfortunately, be, I am. I would one. be an iPad baby if it weren't for my inability to process visual media. I can't can't mm-hmm. watch movies, can't play video games, can't hang out on my phone. But 
it, it's re- like when I see an iPad baby, I'm like there, but for the grace of God, go I. That could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so about this virtual world that you're, you cannot be transported to mm-hmm. physically. Nope, not possible. Uh, not possible. Not happening. Uh, Wardinsky said about it, um, again, quoting, uh, it's not a traditional way of thinking about training. Uh, we usually think about training in terms of, I'm going to give you a set of answers and a set of circumstances. You're going to memorize them. You're going to regurgitate them in the right order and in the right circumstances. The video game way of thinking <laughs> of thinking about training is, we're going to train your brain to better process what you take in, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that that's the video game way of thinking? No! <laughs> I feel like I don't know that many gamers, and so I don't totally know what what their thought process is. I would say that in terms of like training your your brain's like muscle memory, kinda yeah. Like, but in terms of but like here's the thing with like a video game, right? Let's talk about Call of Duty because that's the game that's been like on everyone's mind since part one. Um, nothing in Call of Duty. Um, like if you're not playing story mode, which nobody really ever plays, they're playing online with friends and MMOG, right? That there's nobody is not an enemy except for the people on your team. And the game is designed so that you can't, you can't shoot members on your team. If you shoot, you're probably not going to kill a member on your team. It's just going to go right through them. So I don't know. I don't think that it's training your brain to better process what you take in. I mean, um, I, I feel like there's probably that way. some truth to it, although I'm yeah, just like, I It can I help with cer- certain problem-solving skills. I would say, like, a puzzle game is, like, very much about, like, constantly looking for different angles and things to do. Yeah, but, but also what like, we learned in our research for Dumbledore's Hole was that there is, um, like, a documented problem of... Uh, I don't know if it would be called a fallacy exactly, but that um, when someone receives information or is prompted to do something via like an algorithm or on a screen, that they are more likely to do that thing regardless of if they would, you know, like if they would think that it's a good idea if it was suggested to them by a person, like that there's a level of authority that comes from something like prompted via like a digital interface that kind of hinders people's um critical thinking abilities and this is not just like video games it's also why ai technology or like even just like regular digital software in medical fields can be really helpful but it can also be like a problem if uh like in the last holiday, you know, the doctor gets a mm-hmm. result on his screen and he's like, ah, you've got cancer. Doesn't even think about it. It's just like, oh, you've got mm-hmm. it. And I think that I I feel like this is why the nine out of 10 drone strikes don't ha- hit their intended target because it's like the screen is spitting out what someone is supposed to do. And even though that person is supposed to be like the final line between do we do what the screen says or do we do something else? They're like, oh yeah, okay, there. And I feel like the like video game training of thinking is 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 actually like 
creating this connection on purpose of like, yeah, just run off of instincts. So if you have been exactly, trained like over that. and over to do something on, on a screen, then when you're in a real life situation that mirrors that, then you do that exactly without like critically thinking about, is yeah, this the right thing about, to do like, in this situation? If you're thinking about like the like specifically these video games that are meant for training, then yeah, I would absolutely say that that's what they're for. And with games that are like when you if you're thinking about like they're the people that they want to recruit right before they even get to the training, the video games that they've done, I would say like video games as a whole, cognitively, developmentally, have some good things to you know they they. They can help in some way with cognitive and, and developmental skills. I mean, leapfrog, right? can, it, rocks. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> like you know, like I think leapfrog made it, by Logitech <laughs> it rocks. I love leapfrog. Yeah. I love leapfrog. We love leapfrog. I love all um, Logitech here at Big Story Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially our microphones. Uh huh. I love my all mouse and my made keyboard. By Logitech, and I feel <laughs> as if they help me learn. <laughs> absolutely um i would say like you know like there are certain schools that want to implement esports into schools and part of the reason for that is um because some kids are frankly nerds and they're not athletic and like that's literally some of the reasons they give is that some kids just aren't into athletics and we need other um ways for them to participate with each other and create a community and if esports is one of those things that they already do anyway, why not use that in school to kind of create more of a um, a sense of community around each other? iPad babies. And they can develop some cognitive skills and some quick thinking. But in truth, like, a video game, outside of, like, these video game training complexes, if you're thinking about learning, like, skills that can be transferred to real life, quote-unquote, um, so many of video game design is based around how can we get the player to have the most fun, um, and the least frustrating experience. Well, so that these they were don't stop these were the game. military developed games. Yeah, these so. are military developed games. But I'm just thinking about like the people that they want to recruit, right? Mm -hmm. If they're thinking like, oh, these people have easily transferable skills to the military, I wouldn't say so, and I would say training them um, on those same games. Um, in a different environment um, is training them again, like you said, to think on instinct and not necessarily on um, their problem solving skills, but just kind of retraining their muscle memory yeah, over and really over again. You really do not want someone running around with a gun on instinct, but. Yeah, I like, uh, I don't want to say that that's like. That's why you and I are not video... in charge of the US military. I'm trying to like make the distinction here essentially that like a video game on its own is not going to one-to-one -one transfer to a kid picking up a gun and then like being like, wow, this is just like call of duty, like living in a no, interior no, but delusion that's not, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that yeah, like, no. if you were to give a kid a gun, they would yeah. be like, Oh, well I feel like I have a sense of how to use this in armed conflict because yeah. I played call of duty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I just, I, I do not think that... You don't um, think that's true. You I don't disagree. think that... It, I just don't. I don't. Mm. I don't think it's true. I don't think okay, a video game means that you know better about Kendall a gun. Kendall disagrees. 
with the U.S. military. <laughs> and Kendall... I'm just trying to think... Disagrees... With the Pentagon. But um, another Lock me up. (laughs) I'm trying to think about, like, the difference between... Because I feel like there are arguments that are made about, like, oh, video games cause violence or da-da-da-da. That's next episode, baby. But that's next episode, you know? Next episode, Um, baby. Video games cause a little bit of violence (laughs) if um, you're being trained... To, to use them for war. And the idea of, like, training the brain, um, it came out of what the military was calling the three-block war, which was a paradigm of warfare that was outlined by General Charles Krulock. What kind of last name do you think that is? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know what, you hmm. want to take a guess? Okay, well, Charles uh, Kulak came up with this I- this big, great idea. Congratulations, Charles. Um, after the United States' little excursion in Bosnia, if any of you remember that one. These are the gap years that I was talking about. Yeah. So Krulak explained um, in another training video game called Full Spectrum Warrior In one moment in time, our service members will be feeding and clothing displaced refugees. Ah, damn. I wonder how they got displaced. Um, Anyway, sorry. Providing humanitarian assistance. In the next moment, they will be holding two warring tribes apart, conducting peacekeeping operations. Finally, they will be fighting a highly lethal mid-intensity battle on the same city, all within three blocks. So it's like they need to be able to train the military to do this variety of tasks in direct response to these wars being like colonizing wars Mm -hmm. um, rather than just like shooting at um, or taking down like an armed adversary. They need to also be helping out all these, all these displaced refugees. Oh, who displaced them? Who made the refugees? Come on, guys. We're all trying to figure out who did this as I wave around my gun and, and stomp around in my You're combat like, boots. Hey, let me provide some humanitarian support for you. I learned how to do this in the video game. I promise I won't give you a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this point um, about, like, war being different now and how they need to provide humanitarian efforts as well uh, was made over and over and over again by the people responsible for the military training video games. Um, Dan Kaufman, who is the project manager of DARPA, Ooh. following a follow-up to two DAR Wars. Boo, project uh, managers. Get out of here. Yeah, boo. We hate. Um, the video game Real World... Uh, he said the same. Uh, in the 21st century, American soldiers were no longer just war fighters because war wasn't as simple as it used to be anymore. Um, so contrary to I what Solid Snake that. says in Metal Gear Solid, war does change. It doesn't mm. war. He says war never changes, but you showed him. Um, Kaufman. Oh, wait. Um, I didn't finish the quote. Um, American soldiers were no longer just war fighters because war wasn't as simple as it used to be anymore. Uh, Kaufman, like Chatham and Wardinsky, uh, was one of the officials trying to figure out how to prepare soldiers for the actualized clash of civilizations in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and coming to the conclusion that video games were the answer. Um, 
<laughs> and Kaufman believed uh, that games like um, Real World uh, can make the cognitive load on soldiers more extinct- instinctive. More loads. Yeah. So many loads. <laughs> they keep taking those cognitive loads. <laughs> Ugh, just putting them everywhere. Um <laughs> We're at, like, grown adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too busy giggling about nut <laughs> to finish a podcast. Um, <laughs> they made a cognitive load on, stin- on soldiers more instinctive, kind of like a sixth sense. Um, Damn, and he that says load gave me a sixth sense. <laughs> yeah, and he literally says sixth sense. He goes, not in a mystical way, he says. He really wants you to know that he's not a, he's not a hippie doesn't believe in a woo-woo thing. Um, he means, uh, quote, a sixth sense is just experience and awareness. Um, he points out that there are different kinds of intelligence. Oh, God, this kind of guy. Different kinds of intel- emotion, intel- Ugh, whatever. I have a different um, kind of intelligence, which is that I'm really good at hosting a podcast. <laughs> That's called yeah, podcast we have, we have, intelligence. We have podcast intelligence. We're really good at it. And Tell you, us how good we are at it. You have listening intelligence. You're so good mm. at listening to a podcast. Yeah. Good job. Show, show how good your listening intelligence is and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts yeah. or and Spotify. Listen to these instructions and go to mm-hmm. patreon.com slash big soy naturals and yeah. subscribe to our Patreon because you're, oh, you're such a good listener. You're we think so, you're doing such a good you're job. Your listening, listening you're skills so are, you have auditory intelligence. Peak auditory intelligence no one has been more intelligent when it comes to listening than all of you than you and viewers like you they're, li- you. they're listeners um, <laughs> and sorry and listeners Come like on. you thank you you might have a little I'm bit doing, less podcasting intelligence in that I'm moment i'm doing pbs <laughs> i'm doing the pbs bit mm. um uh he he points out there's different kinds of intelligence Although a professor of physics, for example, might have an edge in a physics lab, quote, who would you want next to you if you were suddenly thrown in the middle of Baghdad, the the physics professor or the 19-year-old kid who's been playing video games all his life? So contrary to popular belief, he does believe this is Sword Art Online. You can get sucked into Baghdad via the computer. Like, okay, where's the professor of physics a professor of? Because... If it's like MIT, I'll take the kid. Mm-hmm. But if it's the Evergreen State College, <laughs> I'll take the, I'll take the professor. See, I don't know if I'm going to take the kid in any way because I'm hearing 19 year old kid who's been playing video games all his life. If I get sucked in there with him, he's just going to do a misogyny on me. Oh, you think? <laughs> I think he's just going to be he like might confuse Man. you with his mom. Yeah, that's also bad. I don't oh. want that either. I guess that's also a form of misogyny, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but the physics professor might, like, be really annoying. I mean, Depends either on way. I don't know. This is, this is a bad Nightmare This is a scenario. bad choice either way. Yeah. This is not fun. I would fun. kill myself at the gate of the airport. <laughs> um, I would kill myself in front of one of them, changing our lives instantly. No. Um, uh, so this, like, continued emphasis on changing and adapting to the intellectual capacities of soldiers. This was like in part because of the new technology that was being used and that they wanted to um, improve on, but it was also because of the 
sorry state of military recruits in the 21st century. To put it lightly, they were all dumbos. Um, And this is for a simple reason. After the draft ended, the U.S. military became an all-volunteer force. And so suddenly the U.S. military no longer had access to, like, the best and brightest of minds that a random selection of Americans would have to offer. And I mean that, like, in seriousness, like, yeah, you're going to get a pretty solid sampling of uh, skills and capabilities if you're just, like, picking people at random. Um, Although it wasn't totally random, the draft, because, of course, like, if you went to university um, until, like, the final couple years of the Vietnam War then you wouldn't be drafted. And that's actually how we got the Evergreen State College. It was founded as a school to dodge the draft. And that's why it's like $5,000 a year and why they have a 100% acceptance rate because it was like, we want everyone to be able to go to college so that they can dodge the draft. But anyway, like the US military no longer had that diversity of skills and intellectual like capabilities. And instead they just got the kinds of people that want to join the military on purpose. So we're a bit of a brain drain <laughs> uh, there. I, those are not smart people. Those are not no. people that I would trust to make decisions because they've already made one of the worst decisions that you could make. Um, so obviously going to be a bit of a cognitive decline. And so our friend Kaufman, he acknowledged that the nature of an all-volunteer force means that some soldiers possess substandard reading and writing skills, which is a pretty diplomatic way to put it. Um, He says lots of people joined the military because they did poorly in school or because they hated school or because they simply couldn't get other jobs. Video games. (laughs) Jobless, dumb. (laughs) Can't read, can't write, can't do shit. Join the military on purpose play video games all day, but he says video games are often better matches for the particular set of skills and preferences of a large swath of today's recruits. They're like, we don't care. We like it anyway. We like it. We don't care that you're all dumb. We like that you're dumb and that all you do is play video games. Yeah, that makes you moldable like clay. Um, Along with uh, Chatham, Wardinsky, and Kaufman, One of the most prominent architects of the military's post-9-11 game use was Michael Macedonia. What a fucking name. Um, How do you feel about a litter of of names, uh, Kendall Kennedy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) No comment. Um, (laughs) I like them sometimes. I don't like them in this instance, but I I like them on my friends. Yeah. Aw, thanks. Um, another sci-fi, he was another sci-fi loving tech dork um, mm. who found his way into uh, military product development because he loves money and hates ethics um, or really just has a lack of them. Uh, in the early years of the 21st century, uh, Macedonia was the chief scientist and technical director of the Army's Gaming and Simulation Office, the Program Executive Office of Simulation Training and uh, Instrumentation, or P-E-O-S-T-R-I. Ugh. Bad acronym. Stinky, stinky acronym. Terrible acronym. Um, 
during his stint at, I'm not going to say it again, um, <laughs> P.O. Street, uh, <laughs> which was uh, which was called Strycom at the time. Uh, that's a better acronym. What the fuck? Um, Macedonia's job was to uh, guide army investment in simulation and video game based training technology, uh, which fit uh, well with his love of science, of science fiction and computers. Um, he published, yeah, <laughs> nerd. Um, he published influential papers with titles like Games, Simulation, and the Military Education Dilemma. Um, <laughs> sorry, just games and how y'all are dumb. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> he said it nicer than that. Yeah, he did. Um, I won't, though. Uh, Macedonia studied military history and used that as a foundation to argue that the military's use of video games um, was the latest manifestation of a centuries-old tendency. He said, quote, uh, People have been using simulations for thousands of years as long as there has been the military. They told stories, drew pictures in the sand, invented chess. They made abstractions in the hopes that they would understand the nature and dynamics of war. If you look at what what a scientist does with mathematical equations, what an artist does, or a writer, they are trying to abstract the universe. I don't disagree with him here, um, in the sense that, like, yeah, there were a lot of times where, like, they used simulations. You can think of, like, um, different war games and strategy games um, that different uh, armies applied through history. Um, Dummies that people used... um, for targeting and things like that. Yeah. I would consider that those are also simulations. Hmm. Um, I don't think he's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I know that Michael Macedonian was a really big fan of Ender's game. And was like, we can make the military be like Ender's game, which I think that there's, there's just a problem with these like, tech people and their inability to they're like the cake they're like the cake boss they don't understand the difference between fiction and real life they've got no object permanence they're like oh i I like ender's game i could make life be like ender's game i actually have not read it's kind of funny but isn't yeah, that's it's, like a, a kid? It's it's was, about child soldiers um, being. But they don't know that they're child into soldiers, an, right? They don't. They well, they're not aware that that's a bad thing. Really, is what it is. They're like playing, um, but they're yeah. actually being child soldiers. And what he yeah. was he was thinking was that we could advance video game technology to a point where it's like you don't even really need to be um, trained in warfare. You can just be like a really good gamer and then that'll be yeah that'll be the war and so i think that's the connection between um like what's all going on here and then what we learned in the previous episode about how uh i think it was the the marines but i might that my memory is not so great um who is using xbox controllers mm yeah. So it's it is sort of yeah. just like a continuation of this idea, but yeah. As- I mean, it's also funny that a lot of these tech guys uh, read uh, science fiction, which is a lot about just like um, how war is bad or capitalism is bad. Yeah, but they're like, what um, if it was good? Also, wasn't that book written by a Mormon? 
he sucks, but I will say that like the, the, the message of the book is that um, these children are being indoctrinated into a hyper violent, um, hyper terrible world um, in order to be um, become the best soldiers that they can be. Oh wait. So the message of it is that it's bad. And then he was like, okay, but what if we did it? And yeah. then that would be cool. They, That's so fun. Tech guys, I love tech it when they love, do that. Tech guys love doing that. They love looking I at mean, like Peter a cool Thiel's robot. Company is literally called Palantir, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like something else that was like mentioned earlier was this like definition of literacy, which ugh, I mean, it seems like the military recruits can't even do regular reading, but the idea of literacy has expanded to encompass like whatever skills are needed to handle the technology that the military uses. And so I guess this is them sort of getting around needing people to be able to read and write competently. Um, The military has been like quick to recognize that video games represent one of the more culturally prominent ways to enter this new sort of literacy. (laughs) And so Uh, the idea that like video gaming represents an influential new literacy, um, and is like part of a broader set of digital literacy skills. That was a controversial idea when it was first introduced in the like early two thousands, but now they want to put esports in schools. Right. There is like a lot of consensus among educational experts and the people that study like pedagogy that there is like some validity to it. I think that it is important to make the distinction between like leapfrog made by our friends at Logitech, um, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) um, which is like teaching someone, you know, like phonics or whatever. And I'm not even totally sure how effective that is, but like there is a distinction between the uh, educational, like, ability of something like that versus can a military developed version of call of duty, which is probably not that different from the Activision developed call of duty. Like, can that teach someone what it is like to be in war, but be that as it may, um, distinguished literacy scholar, James Paul Gee argues that contemporary video games are not only lengthy and intricate, they require players to learn and understand complex systems of words, symbols, problems, and cues. He claims that we must start thinking of literacy in this broad way, instead of only as the ability to read and write, because the written language is but one of several important modes of communication. Images, symbols, sounds, and movement can be equally significant. Video games are a prime medium where these elements join together. Honestly, this sounds like a lot of cope. It's mm-hmm. like our our soldiers can't read and write, but that's okay. They can watch videos. We spent <laughs> a lot of money on this. It's going to work. I promise. <laughs> yeah. Um, Constance Steinkuhler. Um, German. German? Okay, cool. I'm glad you knew what I was about to ask. Um, (laughs) Who's a former senior analyst uh, in the White House's Office of Science and Technology Policy and is currently a professor of education 
of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And you know what I'm going to say already, but once mm-hmm. again, proof every institution of higher education in the West, besides the Evergreen State College, bastion of pure evil. But she agrees with distinguished scholar James Paul Gee and has drawn even more explicit links between gamers' skills and uh, established educational standards. She believes that video games require players to understand and engage in a densely literate space of icons, symbols, gestures, actions, visual, and text. And Steinkuhler notes, um, if we compare what individuals do within these spaces to national reading, writing, and technology standards, it turns out that much of their activity can be seen as satisfying these standards. For example, as recommended by the National Council of Teachers of English Standards, gamers read a wide range of print and non-print texts to build an understanding of texts and of themselves, use a wide range of strategies to comprehend, interpret, evaluate, and appreciate these texts. This is like literally you telling me that the video game that you like playing is a book. You're like, it's literally a book. There's so much text, It's it's basically a book. Okay. You're like, I'm becoming literate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm developing literacy you. skills. I've had enough of you. <laughs> I'm sorry that you happen to uh, say the same thing that Constance I... Steinkuhler, former senior analyst, has. joking. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just drawing connections. I am not saying that you work... For the Pentagon. You were just saying your memory isn't that good, and suddenly you can pull that out of your... Yeah, well, I remember (laughs) some things. I remember things that benefit me. (laughs) All right, well... But I... Slash J, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm giving you a tone indicator post post saying my statement. Autism moment. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the texts. Let's consider the texts. What texts? The texts that the gamers are reading. They're reading uh, Call of Duty and uh, instruction America's manuals? Army, and they're not reading instruction manuals. Um, well, they say they're print just getting and non-print in. They're texts. just getting in and playing the game. Print and non-print text means like text, and then like videos. They're being. They're being, like, really generous with the meaning of the word text. They're like, no, 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 they're reading. Yeah. Please believe me, this this is reading. Um. Well, and so they they believe that, like, today's soldiers prefer to learn from experience rather than a traditional classroom. The U.S. Army's Research Institute claims that just as most gamers ignore instruction manuals, opting instead (laughs) to explore the game for themselves... Soldiers want to learn army digital systems the same way that they have acquired much of their non-military digital expertise by exploring Again, I the don't software think they, and equipment to solve real problems. Again, I think it's I don't think they understand that like yeah, I guess a game like in its thesis as a form of media is about like making choices and in some cases fucking exploring an open world but like i don't think they realize like how much of like the ui is hand holding you through that in a lot of these games they've given you so many like bright red arrows to be like here this is where you go here's a map here's all this stuff you need to do 
here's like a whole text box on the side that tells you your mission. Like, I don't know. I think the idea that like, they're just like, yeah, fuck it. I'm ignoring the instruction manual. I'm just like going forward. They ignore the fact that a game, half of designing a game is to literally lead players away from where you don't want them to be and to where you do want them to be. Like it's literally handholding somebody through something. Is like coming from this um, clash of civilizations, sort of like we're fighting a cultural war. We need to teach people cultural uh, competency. The Mm -hmm. roles of an entry level soldier is different from what it was going what it was like 30 or 40 years ago but i think it is also like damn the people that we have right now joining the military they're not not too bright but you know what they love to do they love the game <laughs> they're super angry about 911 they're they're islamophobic and they're racist and they're really really dumb um, yeah, and so it's like, how do we, how do we meet, how do we meet them where they are? And with that, it's a, it's a video game, and so there is like research that indicates that different styles of games encourage students to adopt different cognitive strategy strategies. So like students who play linear cause and effect style games adopt a strategy of finding the quickest means to an end while conducting tasks. And students that play adventure games demonstrate the ability to, like, think proactively and infer meaning from their surrounding details. Um, So, like, in general, from what people say, what the research indicates, gamers engage in the same sort of, like, complex cognitive processes emphasized in school. And so I I really don't want to, like, dismiss the idea of using the medium of video games to like teach in general it is really just like in the realm of military training you just called me illiterate for playing video games yeah i did (laughs) well i i think that if you're saying that playing a video game is a book i'm gonna again i'm gonna look at you and i'm gonna go hey i think the problem is is that i joked about your favorite thing and and you you got very (laughs) defensive what was my what's my favorite thing Books. Oh, Reading. that's not my favorite thing. What's your favorite thing? Uh, money. I love, <laughs> I, I love money. Well, then you and the military and also, kind of have something I in think, common. I think uh, hitting the club and wearing outfits. Um, mm-hmm. and okay, then yeah. Books no, you're right. Would probably come, well, like reading, reading a book would come somewhere after that. It's just the only mm-hmm. entertainment media I can do because my brain doesn't let me focus on the other stuff. Um I, Kendall's illiteracy aside, I I do <laughs> think that video games can be a medium that some people can learn new things in. I think I would have done really poorly in school if that was pushed on me, but I can see it being useful to teach people some things. It is really, it is just in the realm of like, they had the idea that this was going to be a good uh, format to do military instruction and then have just sort of made that happen um, and have done it to like meet the very, very low cognitive level of military recruits. And I think that there is like a an obvious consequence of like um, p- 
people thinking on instinct who were bad at thinking in the first place, who were taught to think on instinct via video game when you send them to another country to do war or when you put them in the drone room, like what's going to happen? And it's like, duh. And exactly. And I also just feel like, like teaching them cultural competency, which we've established as one of the main goals of a lot of this. Um, teaching them cultural competency through a game rather than interacting with human beings, I think fundamentally kind of outlines the goal of the U S military in a lot of ways that cultural competency can be taught, um, via polygons and algorithms and, um, technology as a way to teach people who, uh, they clearly don't consider very intelligent, um, like the ability to discern whether a situation is a threat or whether a situation is um, like an interaction between civilians. Um, They clearly had no interest in providing those people that they were sending off with guns and with weapons and putting in rooms to uh, discern whether something was a wedding or whether something was a, you know, Al Qaeda hideout. Um, they had absolutely no interest in, uh, creating a perspective for those people that, um, didn't just award them points for taking their sunglasses off, um, and instead gave them a better understanding of the people that they were coming into contact with. Yeah, you can't be treating people like a checklist of items to Well, because the primary goal is still of the U S military, regardless of whether they say this is a humanitarian effort or not, the goal is to treat people like a checklist and by extension, then treat people like they are not human and that they are just items to gain or to, um, get rid of, you know, uh, it, it just kind of outlines like the real farce of the idea that this was a humanitarian effort at all. I don't know if anyone thought that we were going to conclude so many times during this episode that we think that the Pentagon is stupid, but I, let me make it clear. We do, (laughs) we do not think, I don't think that they're smart. I want that to be known. I think that they're all dumb. Really dumb. I agree with my friend and co-host Kendall that the military is not smart, but it's well, that's to the say thing the, is that the a lot of people still think so. I see well, a lot of people who like, I, I still see, yeah, yeah, I do. I think a lot of normal Joe, nor, you know, Joe nobodies and Sally normals mm. do think that like the military is, even if they don't agree with the military, right? Um, they think that they're run by some smart people. people they think that they're run by People who are good at thinking, people who Ooh. have everything planned, who like know everything, Nine and know exactly out of 10 like what's how. Strikes don't hit their intended recipient. Yeah, not good. Just remember that. Tell that to your friends and your parents. It's gonna be a real fun score. conversation. That's a failing yeah. grade. <laughs> um. So, you know, the Pentagon already relies heavily on video games and simulations. That's clear. Um, but the military is still just getting started. They're just in the beginning stages of researching oh. games and training and its educational effectiveness. Within these services, the Office of Naval Research, another al- another you know acronym, cross it off your bingo cards, uh, ONR, is the primary outfit 
exploring the issues in ways that extend beyond the anecdotal and informal. According to Ray Perez, a program officer in the ONR's Warfighter Performance Department, uh, we have discovered that video game players perform 10 to 20% higher in terms of perceptual and cognitive ability than normal people that are non-game players. You can just say not gamers. No, <laughs> non-game players. 20% lower cognitive ability. Uh, you know how they're like NPC? Gamers. This is NGP. Like <laughs> an NGP. Um, we think that these games increase your executive control or your ability to focus and attend attend to stimuli in the outside world. Mm. Attend to stimuli is quite... I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> attending to stimuli. I'm always thinking about stimuli. I'm, I'm, I'm attending, attending to I'm that nurturing stimuli. Them. I think about it and then I attend to it. Some people, they just think, but you and I, we think and then we attend that stimuli. We attend. That stimuli has been attended to. <laughs> we show up to the stimuli's table and we're like, hi, how are you? Would you I like another glass of water? Okay. Is okay. On, and I go, hey, is anybody going to attend to that? Oh, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Please, this is this stimuli is thirsty, dehydrated, starving. Someone attend to the stimuli. No, it's been it's been attended to. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We got it. You don't need to worry. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. No more. Re- <laughs> Research on gaming is part of what Perez believes are the early stages of a new science of learning. And that's going to close this out with, um, it integrates, quote, neuroscience with developmental psychology, with cognitive science, and with artificial intelligence. It always so comes just, back to artificial always comes back to the AI. They're coming back. You know, maybe... We can't escape the hole. We, we can't thought escape we were it. out of Dumbledore's hole, but... But we're Just back when we in. Thought we and were out. They pull us back in. We're back in, and that's why we're gonna we're gonna end the episode here. It's another part. We're doing yeah. another one. Part two is coming up. You are... love it. Part three. Yeah. This is part two. <laughs> right. Part three is coming up. It's gonna be um, a deep dive into some of the video games mentioned in this, like America's Army and Tactical Iraqi. I have. I'm. I normally do some of the research before well before the episode comes out but i have really been putting off playing these games but i'm gonna do it because of my commitment to primary resources and we're gonna tell you what these games are like dear listener i'm gonna be on the phone with virtual (gasps) directing them through (laughs) a video game i I might be able to maybe i'll just know how to play it yeah maybe i'll be good well i mean you're good at everything so I have actually I'm I, I do have a lot of faith games. in you. <laughs> I'm atrocious. I'm not them. I'm not much. Be- I'm sure I'm not much better. I'm telling you. Well, I just I play a lot of them, best. but I'm still dumb. <laughs> we're going to do our best to play or maybe I will watch a video of someone else playing a video game. It's a good one, um, which is something I've never gotten to do with a man, but I've heard it's one of the special activities that you can share with a man. They love it. Um, If you say like, hey, do you want to watch that Let's Player you've been talking about? Their eyes light up. They start clapping their hands together and just giggling. That you want to watch them play the game. I thought that's the special activity. I thought you were talking about Let's Players. But yes, that too. What is a Let's Player? uh, (laughs) A YouTuber who plays games and talks over them. Um, huh. okay, men love well, watching this when they eat dinner. Um, I'm going to see if I can things. find a man 
And then mm-hmm. I will maybe ask him to play the game and I'll watch mm-hmm. or maybe I'll watch someone else play the game. We'll see. We're going to come back. We're going to tell you about what these games are like and what they were meant to train soldiers to do and a bit more of the backstory behind them and what's happened to them next. And uh, then there will be part four, mm-hmm. which will be about a different thing. Yeah, I know what it's about. But I'm not going to tell you yet. No. It's a secret. Spoilers. But yeah, I do know what know. it's about. Yeah. Okay, everyone. We do. Rest assured. Just Go like the military, Patreon. we know what we're doing. Go to patreon.com slash naturals if you want a second episode every week in addition yeah. to the main episode that we put out. And that's all that we, we have so hard for, for you. you. All right. Bye. We get a weakness. You got to see this. Yeah. 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 My left stroke just went viral. Right stroke, put a baby in a spiral. Soprano CB like to keep it on the high note. It's levels to it, you and I know. Bitch, be humble. Bitch, sit down. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Bitch, sit down. Fucking sick and tired of the Photoshop. Show me something natural like Afro with your bra. Show me something natural like ass with some stretch marks. Still a take you down right on your mama's couch and mono sack. Hey, this shit way too crazy. Hey, you do not debase me. Hey, I blew cool from AC. Hey, hope I'm just patient. Hey, I don't fabricate it. Hey, most of y'all be faking. Hey, I stay modest about it. Hey, she elaborated. Hey, this that great poop on the AV on the TED talk. Hey, watch my soul speak. Sit down.